Welcome to Lean Leadership for Ops Managers, the podcast for leaders in ops management who want to spark improvement, foster engagement, and boost problem solving, and still get their day job done. Here's your host, leadership trainer, lean enthusiast, and spy thriller junkie, Jamie V. Parker. All right, ops managers. You know, the last few episodes, we've talked about team member engagement and building relationships. And now we're going to dive into really the culmination of that activity to dig into organizational culture, but not just culture for culture's sake, right? We're talking about your organizational culture in combination with sustainability and growth. So we're talking about the people stuff and the profit and the growth and the business and the good environment, all of that together. Now, you're going to hear directly from the president and CEO of Nick's Companies, which has been named to the Inc. 5000 fastest growing companies in America for five consecutive years. And our guest will talk about how he developed a cohesive culture while experiencing the significant growth, how he brings vision and core values to life in the everyday for everyone, regardless of where you work in the organization, and how culture has been the lifeline when challenges arise. So this is a great episode for you if you're in an executive role, or even if you're in another leadership role and you're trying to build that positive culture, that people-focused, people-centric, relationship-based environment, and deliver results. Now, a quick heads up, this episode's a little longer, maybe 35, 40 minutes. So I want you to know that. You ready? Here we go. So excited to have Matthew Nix joining us today. Matthew, welcome to the show. Thanks, Jamie. Well, listen, we are going to talk all about organizational culture today, and I'm really excited to dive in. But before we do that, could you introduce yourself to our listeners, let them know who you are and about your organization? Sure. Uh, yeah, my name is Matthew Nix. Um, I'm the fifth generation uh, president of Nix Companies Incorporated, and um, Nix Companies has uh, evolved quite a bit over the time. We, we started as a blacksmith uh, shop and evolved into a mom and pop welding shop where we did agriculture repair, evolved into a commercial industrial metal fabrication uh, and specialty contractor. And then today, our parent company that my brother and I uh, formed um, is a parent company for both wholly owned subsidiaries and partial uh, interest investments. Um, so we're a diversified company, but all of our entities or holdings really uh, are in the uh, either metal fabrication or specialty contractor space. Okay, well, <laughs> fantastic. And as I understand it, you've had some pretty big growth that you've experienced. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, we have. Uh, it's been <laughs> quite a quite a ride. Uh, I joined the business uh, full-time in 2004. I start, I'll say I like a lot of small family businesses. I grew up in the business, started out sweeping the floor and um, you know, work cleaning up equipment and then learning to weld as a teenager. And so it was mom and pop. I, I grew up in the business. There weren't any management positions at the time. And um, I joined the business in 2004 after one year of uh, trade school at a nearby uh, tech, technical college. And then um, since 2004, uh, well, let's, let's fast forward to 2010. From 2004 to 2010, 
it was just a lot of grinding, you know, just, mm-hmm. uh, planting the seeds, laying the foundation. I was young, ambitious, wanting to grow the business and, uh, got a lot of doors shut in my face and, mm-hmm. uh, paid my dues. And in 2010, uh, we got a big break and, uh, took on a nice size project. I, I hired the first, um, team member outside the family. And so we are just four of us, four family members at the time that was in 2010. Uh, so here just 11 years later, uh, we're about a hundred uh, team members and counting. And that's, um, that's just within our, uh, primary, uh, consolidated entities. Mm-hmm. That is fascinating to me that that was just in 2010, um, so just very, really big changes. And some of that growth has, has been through acquisitions also, right? It has been, um, a significant amount of our growth has been organic, but we, we've certainly, uh, had our share of acquisitions. Um, we've, we've done a series of acquisitions over the last five years. Um, we focus on uh, our focus is what we call operationally sound and sales distress. So we like to look for companies that, um, have all the building blocks there and we bring the sales and marketing, but also also the human resources to the table because mm-hmm. as most of your listeners are aware, in our line of work, if it doesn't matter how much you can sell if you can't get it done and people <laughs> are the key to getting the work done. So um, that's been our strategic focus. And so we've taken these companies that we've acquired and brought those uh, support staff resources to the table and, and really grown those organically uh, within our portfolio of businesses. How have you approached this idea of culture as you've grown your organization? Yeah, it's it's become a big, big focus of mine. Matter of fact, I jokingly, uh, my LinkedIn profile refer to myself as the chief culture officer. I think that's uh, really important. And, and you know, I want to be the one that sets the tone for that for our organization. Mm-hmm. Um, if in my mind, if if things are working right, then I'm. I'm the cheerleader and, and I'm, you know, uh, trying to, uh, lead that culture. Uh, and, um, if things are all, all running smoothly, then that's what I'm focusing on day to day, but that's evolved over time. And, uh, you know, I remember times thinking about, you know, when we were putting core values in place or, you know, developing our vision statement or a mission statement and spending time on that and often questioning myself, you know, am, am I spending too much time, you know, with my head in the cloud, so to speak. And, um, you know, when you're in a, especially when you're in a, you know, kind of a blue collar industry and you've come up through the business from the shop floor, you know, sometimes it's hard to, um, you know, feel like you can dedicate to things, but every time I, um, was questioning that it wouldn't be very long down the road. And I would be so thankful that whatever work I had just done was put in place because we would, we would hit a fork in the road or we would hit a obstacle where I was so glad that I'd spent the time working on that. So let's talk about that then, you know, so kind of thinking about the vision and core values and your purpose for your organization, all of those pieces, how did you go about determining what that really is? Yeah. So, um, I, I, on the vision statement I did, I spent a lot of time uh, thinking about that a couple of years, really, um, you know, really asking myself some deep questions. And ultimately what I decided was, uh, if I was going to lead this thing and believe in it, it, it had to be, you know, a vision that at, at, just like I said, at the core, I could really believe in it, and get behind it. Um, mm-hmm. so, uh, our vision today is, is to create world-class employment opportunities 
And uh, we'll do that by being recognized as one of the top metal fabricators and industrial contractors. Um, so that 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 uh, evolved slightly over time, but that was always mm-hmm. the primary vision. And, uh, you know, I, I knew it had to be something that I could really get behind and believe in. And then I had to uh, find a, a core group of people that also believed in it. Uh, luckily, you know, that that group already existed for the most part. But um, and, and so that was the part that I did on my own. I felt like that was really important because I had to lead this thing for the next 30 or so years. Mm-hmm. But then as we went down, um, you know, in deeper into it, um, I really engaged the entire team on that to the extent that when we developed our core values, I did a, a confidential survey where there's probably 30 or 40 uh, mm-hmm. team members at the time. And I asked them questions like, uh, how would you describe our company? How would your friends and family describe our company? How would our competitors describe our company? Um, how would people in the community describe it? How, how would we want people to describe it? And then I, I gathered all that up. And I remember actually uh, took a week's vacation. I remember sitting on the beach, going through my, <laughs> my, ye- my yellow notepad and sort of summarizing those things into the, what are now the five core values. And the criteria I used uh, for whether or not it was a core value was um, if adhering to this principle meant that we would, would be sacrificed profits in order to do so. And if mm-hmm. the answer was yes, then it was a core value. If the answer is no, then it was a, a, a nice thing. And it's a principle that we should try to work towards. But, you know, for it to be core, that was the criteria I used. And we cited on five, five things. So back to your question, one of the great things about it, it, it was it's organic. It's from our team. You know, we, we developed it together. We said this mm-hmm. is what's important to us as an organization. So that's an interesting criteria there. Could you give me an example of, you know, when you say, would we sacrifice profit for this? Um, can you give me an example of one of your core values and, and how that applies? Yeah, one example was uh, we had a particular line of our business um, that we were, uh, we fe- one, of our, one of our core values is commitment to excellence. And in this particular business unit, one part of that business unit, um, we didn't feel like, uh, really fit with our core business and we could be excellent at it. Um, it. At the time, it was generating revenue and gross profit to the organization and, mm. and to part of the organization um, that was a couple years into a new acquisition for us. Uh, so it was terrifying to take any revenue or gross profit off the table, you know, not not knowing for sure that we could replace that. Yeah. Um, but we made a decision to do so um, and with the belief that um, if if we couldn't be if we couldn't be great at it, you know, we didn't want to just do something that we were okay because we were okay at it. We were making mm-hmm. money, um, but we decided we wanted to get rid of it if we couldn't be great at it, and you know, took that leap that we would backfill that uh, with other revenue and 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 uh, profit, and uh, we were able to do so. So that was one example, and then another one that's pretty common that I'm sure most people could relate to is you know when you have a you have a superstar employee and uh, they're they're the best welder, they're the best machinist or the best powder coater that, that, that you've ever seen, but yet they don't want to, you know, they don't want to live up to the core values and they don't want to be part of the team. And so that's tough because, mm-hmm. you know, you know, you're making a short-term hit to the business when you part ways with those people. But, um, you know, we're not always perfect. We don't always do it as fast as we should maybe. And, um, but, but ultimately we end up, you know, coming back to those core values. Those are, you know, those are what you, you can 
you can venture off to the left and off to the right, but you, but you come back to center. Those are what keep you kind of moving towards yeah. your North star. I love that. And really using them actively from a decision making standpoint. Um, so let's, let me ask you about these core va- about core values then, because I imagine my guess some of our listeners out there could say, oh, I know where the poster is about the core that has the core values on it, but they don't actually mean anything really. Yeah. So how do you treat, like, how do you translate core values from, you know, words on paper to how the organization really runs in the day to day? How do you bring that to life for people? Sure. Yeah. Great, great question. That, ironically, that was one of the things I said when we developed it. One of the first things I said was this can't just be something that hangs on the wall and collects <laughs> dust. If, if we're not going to make it part of the organization, then we might as well not do it. So uh, we've worked really hard at that. And, and I think we are. I think if you asked any of our people, they would they would say, absolutely, it's part of the business. Um, doesn't Again, doesn't mean we're perfect. Doesn't mean every every decision we make is always in alignment or or the small. The hardest one is the the small everyday things. You know, are mm-hmm. you are you uh, doing those in alignment with it? But um, so some of the things we first first and foremost, uh, I learned this listening to a podcast, actually. Um, someone talked about behaviors and I realized we had these five core values um, that were really great. And they're, they're really aspirational ideas. Like mm-hmm. so, for, for example, commitment to excellence, like how do you ever actually achieve that? Uh, I'm not sure that you do. You're always moving towards it. So I, I listening to this podcast and thinking about it, I realized that we needed to boil it down into something a lot more tangible. So underneath each of our five core values, we have uh, what we call behaviors and they're much more uh, tangible. So like under commitment to excellence, you know, one of them is hunger. Um, one of them is being open-minded uh, because if you're, if you're not open-minded, you know, you're not open to change, you can't be committed to excellence. So mm-hmm. um, those are things that people can really relate to and understand, they understand what it means to be, you know, open-minded or not. So um, that was really important. And so we, we talk about, not only the core values, but the behaviors that support them. And there's anywhere from, I don't know, a half a dozen to a dozen under each of those. Uh, so we, every Tuesday, uh, we have a, a all hands meeting. The entire company comes on a, a, a Zoom call. Uh, we were doing that before COVID because mm-hmm. we're decentralized. I mean, each location all comes together physically, which I think is very important. So they have that camaraderie. It lasts for 10 minutes. It's it's very short. We started doing it when we had 10 people and we're still doing it today. And my hope is when we have a thousand people, we'll still be doing it. And, mm-hmm. um, we bring everyone together. And one of the things we do is throughout the week, folks send in core value shares. So they, they catch one of their team members living the core values. They have to tie the behavior in with it as well. And we, we, we post all those every, uh, every Tuesday and, and we get anywhere from two or three to 10 some weeks. Um, and so we're recognizing those folks and whoever submits the best one gets $10. Uh, so it can buy their lunch. And I think it's important to point out, we're not giving the $10 to the person that got recognized. We're giving it to the person that did the recognition. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're incentivizing that recognition and then it just becomes natural and people are doing that. And then every six months, we have a biannual meeting where we all physically come together for lunch and uh, we give out a hundred dollar bill and a nice certificate uh, to one of those folks. They all go in a drawing. So those are just some fun little ways that we're doing it. Um, but, you know, really, it comes down to making hiring decisions and and, eva- and when you, you got to time into your evaluations, 
uh, when you yeah. do those evaluations, you got to tie the values into it. And if you do those things, it takes time, but eventually it, people recognize, Hey, this is really part of the business. I love this um, connection to the behaviors. It's so important um, because it is when we talk about, um, you know, what is it that we want people to do, you know, and I'll do this with even managers, right? It's like, well, what do you want? And they'll say like, oh, integrity, accountability. <laughs> like, well, what does that what mean? What does that look like? Yeah, yeah. yeah, that's exactly right. So integrity is one of ours. But mm-hmm. so like one of the behaviors to integrity is uh, mean what you say and say what you mean, you know? So we try to boil it down into layman's terms where people can, okay, I get that. Or another yes. one in integrity was being dependable. Like if you, if you tell somebody you're going to do something, then do it. That's so it's exactly right. Yeah, we're trying yeah. to boil because integrity is a, a lot of people have that in their values. We do too, but it's a it's a big sort of you know audacious idea that you know we're moving towards. But what does it really mean, and what's it look like in, yeah. in, in any day? Particularly to, to I think to connect it to that every day. You know what? What is this? How do I translate this to what I'm doing day in and day out, regardless of my role in the organization? And you know, really tying that together. You know, there's this um, statistic that in the U.S., there 82% of U.S. employees say that they're not recognized enough for their contributions. And I always, you know, find this interesting because there's, of course, the part that hey, I don't feel recognized, and you know, I think that there's some mistakes and that we don't do it often enough or that we don't do it very effectively. But I think the part that gets missed so often is that last part is for their contributions. People want to know how they're having an impact, even in those little day-to-day things. And so that behavior piece, when you talk about your, your recognition program, where it's, it really is making, building that connection from vision to core values to everyday behaviors. And now when that person receives that recognition, they know how they're contributing and they know that that contribution is valued. It's not just (laughs) because you're a nice guy, because you're a team player. There's something you're doing that's really contributing. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. So, okay. So I love all of this, but I, um, and one of the things that I also love about the things I've read from you and talking to you is this kind of focus on people and how, you know, here you are, you're right. So you're president of the organization. Um, your vision is really to have these employment opportunities. So you really have an obligation to be fiscally sound in order to provide those employment opportunities. You've got to deliver results. Um, so you have a responsibility for results and you have this drive and desire to, um, really respect people and to treat them well and to value them. And I think sometimes that feels like those can be at odds, or at least it it seems that way, whether it is or not, it seems that way sometimes, particularly when you're having to make hard decisions and things. So can you talk a little bit about um, whether it's balance or integration or you, whatever it might be between this idea of I've got to deliver results and we're going to you know treat people really well? Right. Sure. Yeah. I think a lot of people tend to think that, you know, if, if we want to be a a great culture organization, we have to somehow balance or sacrifice that with, um, you know, with being profitable, frankly. And um, that's just not true. I mean, uh, I guess maybe the word balance, but really it's more integrated in my mind. You're not really balancing it so much as it's, it's all integrated together. And so one of the things that um, we did just, just a couple of years ago, really, that I think took things to the next level in terms of how we, um, 
manage and lead the organization at, at, you know, the executive level and from a 30,000 foot view is, so we had this vision statement and again, it's, it's a North star. It's kind of a aspirational idea. We said, okay, what does that really look like? You know, because like, for example, um, when we achieve that vision someday, what, what will that look like? So then I listed that out, you know, this is what it would actually mean for our organization. I listed that. And then we said, okay, what would have to be true in order to have those Mm. things happen? And then we started listing these things and then we started just boiling them down and, and simplifying them and say, okay, you know, what, what, what could we absolutely not uh, do without in order to have this happen. And we landed on three things and I'm a big fan of Venn diagrams for their simplicity sake. And maybe that's like the, uh, you know, working with my hands, engineering kind of thing in me, but uh, so th- just visualizing this. So what we decided was in order for us to achieve our vision someday, we had to pay attention to three things. And that was growth, sustainability, and culture. Uh, and, and you can't just pay attention to one or two of those. You have to pay attention to all three. Um, and then, so then we, we've teach that to the whole organization. So to your question about, you know, being, being, fis- you know, fiscally sound and making good decisions. Well, that's sustainability. I mean, when I say that most people are thinking like environmentally sustainable and things, but, um, and that's part of it, but we're talking about it at its core. Like in order to sustain this business, um, we have to have profitability. That's, that's the, that's the fuel that's the oxygen that, that we need to survive on. Um, so if we don't pay attention to that pretty soon, none of this culture stuff's going to matter because we'll be out of business. Um, on the flip side of that, if all we're worried about is, you know, having beanbag chairs and free lunch and all the other silly stuff that you hear about people with culture, that's nothing that we do. I'm just being facetious, but if we just pay attention to that stuff and we're making sure we're making money, that's all fine. But eventually people, great people, they want to be challenged. They want more, either more responsibility, more money, promotions, whatever it is. Um, that only comes with growth. I'm, I'm sorry, but anybody that thinks, you know, otherwise, I mean, you're just kidding yourself. So, um, and I, again, we, we take pride in the fact that we're a family business and that we're, we're small. Um, but I tell people like, we're not going to apologize for growing. We have to, um, because it's a, we want it to be a great place to work. We want to make sure there's profits to fuel that, but then people want better health insurance. They want to get promotions. They want to make more money. Uh, all these things come with growth. So we have to always focus on those three. Um, so that to me, that has really been like the foundation. And then we drill down from there. I mean, all the way down to the practical, tactical things in our annual plan that we put together are all in alignment with those three things. What has been a challenge at times as you've been trying to integrate those? Well, I'm just, I mean, because it's, you know, fresh in my mind, just thinking about what we've went through here in the last, you know, 12 or so months uh, with the pandemic, um, we were uh, doubling the business every couple of years, every 18 to 24 months. Uh, we've been on Inc. 5,000 fastest growing companies for five years in a row. Um, so growing like a rocket ship, we were very profitable, um, for most of those years, um, in the most recent years. And so everyone was used to, you know, good bonuses We're growing like crazy, you know, if yeah, it's culture's easy when you're doing that. I mean, and, it, and it's not just the bonuses, but 
that it certainly helps reinforce it helps, you know, people buy into, to what's going on. So, you know, when you go through a period that we just went through, um, you know, we had to tighten up like everyone, we made conscious decisions, uh, not to lay anyone off. Um, so we had to be strategic about that. We're a project based business. So, uh, we, we started, uh, taking on work at lower margins to make sure we could keep everyone busy and you know what that does to the bottom line. So, um, our, ca- our capital expenditures went down and that, that affects morale and culture because you're not buying that new equipment that people want to see bonuses aren't there. So that obviously affects morale. Uh, so that was a difficult period to lead, lead through. And I think really what helped is having that foundation where I said, look, we have to pay attention to all three of these things that I just outlined in our Venn diagram. And I said, you know, some that's the seasons will change and you'll focus more on one or the other depending on the circumstances we're in. And right now, sustainability is what we have to focus on. We have to take our foot off the gas on growth. We we stayed focused on culture, um, but but that was was really hard because we couldn't be together. You know, COVID didn't let you be, you know, we couldn't physically be together. uh, So we had to get really creative on how we would maintain those things and focus on making sure we're a healthy organization that can get through this. And so that when things turn around, we can really capitalize. And I, I think, you know, as I'm listening to you talk about this, I think that even highlights how critical all of the culture work that you were doing was for this this last year to be able to make those hard decisions, kind of share that share a little bit of pain across a lot of people instead of layoffs, you know, being able to um, build a commitment or organization of people committed to getting through that. You know, I would imagine that would be much more difficult had you not done all of this culture work leading up to it. Yeah, that goes back to what I said earlier. You know, there was times in my career where I would think, you know, gosh, am I spending too much time on this? Am I thinking about it too much? And um, that then when something like this happens, you're glad that you did because mm-hmm. you have the foundation and and the you, you have the um, sort of the playbook to go by, and you can you can explain the why to everyone. This is why we're going to do this because this is what we said is important to us. Um, and, and this is how we're going to manage through this. So yeah, absolutely. I was so thankful that we had that and it. It just helps you. I think, you know, it's, it's still nerve wracking to make those decisions. You know, you're second guessing yourself, but you can remember that, look, this is, um, you know, this is a long-term game and, and we're, we're doing what we believe is right. And, um, you know, I think time's on our side there. Mm-hmm. All right, so I have one more question that I'm thinking about before we jump in and see what else you you want to share. Um, and this is, you know, thinking about how you lead culture. And uh, we've talked a lot about the role you've taken, but especially in an organization, you're growing, people are getting promoted, you've got more leaders coming in, you know, just ba- because of growth. Um, and so it's it doesn't all fall on your shoulders. You have other leaders and you need them to lead in a way that is aligned with your culture as well. Um, Any either um, successes or lessons learned or oops, failures, we fell down, anything that you could share for those other executives out there who are saying, you know what, I feel like um, that maybe there's a disconnect or I need help getting that alignment with those other leaders. Yeah, absolutely. I I just went through that experience, that challenge. I mean, maybe to some extent, I, I still am. I feel like I'm starting to work through it, but I think, uh, maybe a year, probably a couple of years ago, I recognized, you know, I I had done an okay job of uh, focusing on our corporate culture and making it 
a part of who we are. If not, I don't think we would have been able to sustain the the growth and success that we had. But um, so I looked up one day and realized that there were some breakdowns and and communication and maybe things weren't happening quite the way that I wanted them to. And I I realized that we had kind of gone beyond the point where I could really have a, a firsthand relationship with every single team member and in an effective way to drive the culture. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I know their names and I, I, you know, go have conversations with them and, mm-hmm. um, you know, as much as I can, but not, you know, it's just not physically possible to have that level of relationship to drive culture. So I realized that I'd sort of got behind on investing in um, my senior leadership team. Mm-hmm. And so instead of trying to disseminate it across the whole organization, I had to start being intentional and thinking about ways in which I'm really um, focusing on pouring that into them and, um, helping and, you know, not only teach, but inspire them to, to do that within, in each of their various areas of the business. Uh, so that's something I'm working on right now. Uh, it's a challenge, you know, you just, as you, as you grow as a, as a leader and manager, you, you always encounter new things that you have to, <laughs> you have to reinvent and figure out. That's one thing I realized that, you know, I, I was talking to my dad the other day and I said, you know, it's one thing about it. You, you better just be okay with challenges because if you're going to do this job, you just get up, get up every day and you solve the next challenge. And I think that's just the way it is. Yeah. All right. Fantastic. Well, before we uh, wrap up anything that you wanted to bring up, you think maybe either we missed or you wanted to um, share about culture before we kind of wrap up our conversation. Well, I think maybe just sticking with you know, what we've already kind of been hitting on. And that is that, you know, if, if you're, if you're feeling like I was, and you're feeling like, you know, you're, you're wondering whether or not you should be devoting the, the time to it, or wondering whether you have to balance that with, uh, you know, with growth or profits, I would just tell you that, um, you know, really uh, be brave and, and you, you know, that it's going to be valuable. You just got to put the time in to, and the energy in to do it. And I, I think, I don't think that you'll regret uh, that you did. Yeah. Fantastic. All right. So Matthew, we're going to have our podcast episode page. It'll have show notes with links to some articles you've written and your organization and all of that stuff. Um, But if someone wants to just connect with you and follow along, um, I know I love to see your posts and articles on LinkedIn. If they want to connect with you, what's the best way for them to do that? Yeah, I would say LinkedIn. Um, I, I try to uh, post some articles on there and, and, you know, share different thoughts and, and ideas along the way. And I love connecting with, with, with other folks. And, uh, so, uh, yeah, definitely, uh, uh, hook up with me on LinkedIn and, um, would be happy to share some ideas. Fantastic. All right. So last thing, uh, any closing words of wisdom, encouragement, uh, or advice that you would like to leave our listeners with today? No, just, get up every day and pull your boots up and lace them up tight and just go, go fight the, fight the good fight. Someday you'll look up and you'll be amazed at, you know, how far you've come. Fantastic. All right. Thank you, Matthew. Appreciate you being on today. Thanks, Jamie. All right. I first met Matthew a year ago when I did some work with the Tri-State Manufacturing Alliance, TSMA, which is part of the Southwest Indiana Chamber of Commerce. And Matthew is the president of TSMA. And from the very first time we met, I could feel his heart for people. 
Now you can find visual aids to some of what Matthew shared at our show notes. You can find those at processplusresults.com forward slash podcast. Now, there are a few lessons here that I really want to call out. The first, culture is critical. You heard him talk about how the work the team did on culture, that that's really what carried them through when challenges hit. Culture, people, that's not soft. That's everything. As Matthew says about investing in people and culture, he said, be brave. You know it's going to be valuable. You just have to put in the time and energy to do it. And he doesn't think you'll regret that. All right. Now, number two, connect to the everyday through behaviors. As an executive or senior leader, you have a responsibility to help the other leaders on your team really connect the dots between vision, values, and behaviors. That way, your leaders can then effectively lead their teams in alignment. You know, Barry Waymiller is a company that Matthew admires. And years ago, I went through a series of leadership development programs through their Leadership Institute. One week, we spent the entire week just on listening skills. Now, Barry Waymiller does these things they call listening sessions. And those listening sessions, you know what? It wasn't part of the program, but every time there were breaks or before and after class, I was digging in, picking their brains about how they conduct these listening sessions. And then I went back and I started doing them at FedEx at the time. And now I do them in my client organizations. And they can focus on different things. But one area I sometimes focus on is this exact topic vision and values. What are we living and how does that show up? And where do we fall down? Where does what we say on paper not match what we're doing in reality? We've got to connect the dots. We've got to connect vision and values and behaviors. All right, number three takeaway, culture plus sustainability, plus growth. This combination of all three is really how Matthew integrates positive people culture with profitable business results. And I really loved this section of the conversation. It's definitely worth a re-listen if you want to go back to it. I think it's somewhere in the 20-minute-ish mark. All right, and then developing leaders. At some point, your organization or group or span of care is too large for you to have a firsthand relationship with all team members in an effective way to drive culture. It can't all fall on your shoulders. You have to invest in your leaders, the leaders that are on your team. So those are four key points. Culture is critical. Connect to the everyday through behaviors. Culture plus sustainability plus growth and develop your leaders. All right. You know, I always like to leave you with your next step. Here's your homework for the week. Pick one key takeaway from this conversation. It could be one of the four I just talked through or something else that you really pulled out from Matthew's conversation. Set a timer for 10 minutes and let your mind go. Document what comes up for you on that topic. You can write or draw or mind map or sticky note or whiteboard or record a voice memo. Whatever method you use, take one topic, set a timer for 10 minutes, and explore that topic further. At the end of your 10 minutes, decide if there's some action you want to take or if it's something you just want to file for a later date. 
All right. A big thank you to Matthew Nix for sharing his learnings and experiences leading Nix companies, particularly through growth and then through these recent challenges of the pandemic. Remember that you can find links to connect with Matthew, see visual aids, get links to some of his LinkedIn articles, which I really enjoy, and learn more about Matthew and Next Companies at our show notes. Just go to processplusresults.com forward slash podcast. Until next time.